everyone and welcome to another Scots Way podcast. And today I'm joined once again by writer Denzel Myrick to talk about his new novel Murder at Holly House. Hello Denzel. Hello there Alistair, it's nice to see you again. And nice to see you again. And this is, as we just mentioned before we start recording, this is a bit of a departure. So what can you tell listeners about Murder at Holly House? Um, Murder at Holly House is set in 1950s North Yorkshire, and it involves um, D.I. Frank Grasby, who arrives in the village of Elderby to find somebody dead down a chimney, something he wasn't expecting. And one of the lines that the young laird of the manor says on this discovery, well, Santa got it terribly wrong this year. <laughs> um, and, and so it begins. It's... um. It's been referred to as cosy crime, and I suppose you can put that that label on it. I'd like to think of it as a sort of cosy thriller, more or less. And you've read it, and you probably will describe it better than I do. Um, but it's a departure for me, as you know, from the daily series and from terms of restitution and other things that I've done, and intentionally so because, as you know, we've written the three wee novellas over Christmas and last last uh, three years. And they did very well, which I was surprised about. And I wanted to write a full-size novel and, you know, to, to have that same kind of feel, but do something different at the same time. So that's how kind of Holly House came about. Yeah, it's interesting because I was just thinking, it is almost where Daly and the Kinloch novellas meet. You know, you, <laughs> you've still got... Um, Cozy Crime's an interesting term. It's not one... I've only kind of come to it recently. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> and I would say if people think this is um, cosy crime, it's still very much a Denzel Myrick novel. Yeah, yeah. You know, there are harder edges, you know, there are people get into, it's not just a tricky situation over a cake or something like that. There's real danger and, and, and uh, uh, thrills going on here. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It's... It... As all the hallmarks of one of my books, I hope has humour and it has, you know, mystery in it. It's it's a a read that will keep you turning the pages, hopefully. Very much. But so. it's but it's just that wee bit more nostalgic. I was a great fan of uh, Heartbeat um, back in the day. I mean, and I'm so sad that they they stopped it because it was a. In fact, I was in Whitby the day they filmed the last scenes of Heartbeat, which was really nice because I enjoyed the show that much, and. This is an element of heartbeat to it a wee bit, even though it's set in 1952 rather than the late 60s, which which heartbeat was. And I always think that going back in time gives you that nostalgia just a wee bit, you know. Uh, it helps you along and, and people, rightly or wrongly, see the 1950s and the 1960s now as very nostalgic and happy times. They were certainly simpler times. Yeah. Whether they were altogether happier times for many, I don't, I'm not exactly sure, but that's our perception looking back now, I think, Alistair. I, when I was reading it, I was thinking if I was a big fan of the Father Brown books. Ah, yes. Actually, my dad was, but he kind of put them on, me onto them at a young age. And it's got that feel as well, isn't it? Kind of small village where things you wouldn't expect happen. And, uh, and even the clergy are, are not to be trusted as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I lived across the road from where G.K. Chesterton wrote that those uh, books right. for wow. a long for a while in Kensington. Um, 
Yeah, it has that kind of father bound feel. I think you're absolutely right. I hadn't thought about that. It's a it's a wee bit wood Woodhouseian, isn't it? Yeah. It's a wee bit um Evelyn Wash. It's a tad Len Dayton. It's that kind of uh, interaction. You know, that's the way I I've been thinking because obviously I'm on the on the media um role at the moment, sure. and I'm always trying to think how it's the best way to describe this to people who haven't read it. And I kind of think that's a kind of easy way to to describe it that gets the kind of zeitgeist of the book, but I'm not sure ever if I'm entirely right. And I, another thing I was reminded of was uh, The Eagle Has Landed as well, that kind of... Yeah, yeah, there's a wee bit of that in, in there, absolutely. You know, yeah. um, I, was... I think that goes to what you're saying about nostalgia, is it made me... I mean, of course, I, I was never there, never at that time, but I've read some books from that time, I've seen films from that time that are off yeah. that kind of strand. Yeah, I think that's where we get our nostalgia for this, isn't it? Yeah, I think we get our nostalgia because of those films that we've watched and the books we've read. And it may or not, may not have been the way things were back then. But, you know, and it helped as well that my my mum was from Yorkshire um, and my grandfather was from Yorkshire. And, and we've got a lot of, I've got a big Yorkshire side of my family. And we went there a lot all the time when I was a child and we've gone there a lot since. And I found, funnily enough, I was doing my DNA ancestry right and i found out at a relation called charles kilvington in north yorkshire not far from where this is notionally set who owned the fabulously named ham and cheese inn <laughs> and it's still there too this was in the early 1800s and i thought that was just a fabulous thing and a great name in fact i used the name kilvington in my previous daily novel um, because i was so taken with it uh so it's nice you know i have People say, oh, Denzel's a Scottish... How... Um, a, a person I won't name who was with my previous publisher said, uh, oh, you know, you know, you'll have people enraged about writing this because you're not from Yorkshire. And and I said, well, um, I'm not from Mars either, but Arthur C. Clarke managed to carry it off quite That's well. what I was thinking. <laughs> you know? uh, and so I, I just I find these these things strange. But I love Yorkshire as a, as a county. I think a lot of people do. Uh, and it's lovely to say it's something. It's, it's not, I don't want everything I write, Alistair, to be an analogue of daily. Yes. And if I set another police procedural novel in Scotland, it would inevitably become an analogue of daily because that's the way people would think about it. Yes. And they cl clearly compare it to daily. And I don't think it's just as easy to compare this uh, to daily. Uh, it's interesting. It never crossed my mind, but have you had pushback mm -hmm. because this is not set in Scotland? I've had the odd one or two, very a very small minority. Uh. But I had one lady say to me that she would be reviewing the book very badly because it wasn't daily and it would force me to write dailies. Oh, wow. I guess somewhere in there there's a bit of a compliment, I guess. Well, she didn't get complimented for her uh, statement, let me tell you. Uh, uh, um, I, I don't understand that. No. I, you know, I, the feeling is that I don't want to write the same thing over and over and over again. Of course. Because I think enough is a feast um, in terms of anything, really. And if you sat and listened to your favourite song over and over and over again, um, you would get bored with it. Yeah. And uh, the same thing goes for your for books and everything else and characters. And of course, Daily isn't finished. Daily's going to reappear yeah. um, in 2025. But it's nice to do something different. It's refreshing for me to to write something like this. 
And so that's that's great. Well, I think you can tell as when you're reading it that you really enjoyed writing it. That's the feeling I get. Uh, from. I did. Um, lots of reasons for me thinking that um, the character of Frank Grasby himself is a really memorable one. Um, <laughs> the way that he speaks, he often finishes a sentence with says I or something similar like that, which to me, yeah. not just kind of shapes his character, but shapes the time as well. Is that fair? Yeah, I think I got a lot of that from, I was a huge fan of the Flashman novels when I was uh, younger. Yes. And there's a bit of that in it as well. And it's just to shape the time, and also the fact that the the I suppose you'd you would call it the conceit, is that these are Frank Grasby's memoirs, and it's written in sort of past present tense, if you know what I mean. Um, so that kind of goes with the the way it's written. But I really did enjoy writing. In fact, I'm writing the next Grasby as we speak, so that's really enjoyable. So I'm I'm going back to enjoying Juggers and. And Grasby and all the rest of them, and and he's he's, he's a father of the Reverend Grasby too, uh, yeah, and it and it's fine, and I think that we're going through so much just now, Alistair, as you well know, yeah, with with um people struggling to get by, with wars and rumours of wars and all the rest of it, and we've just come th come through COVID, it's good to have something that's uplifting in a way, without being, you know. Everything has its place. The dailies, the dailies have their place, though. I'd like to think they're not too visceral either, mm -hmm. in the way they're presented. But, but I think we need a break, and there is a trend towards this inverted commas cozy crime. Um, so that's another reason why I wrote it the way I did. It's uh, yeah, I, absolutely. I'm really pleased to hear that you're already writing the next one because it's a world. I was keen to remain in, you know, once I finished, I <laughs> Good stuff. kind of hang about with these people. And and, and also in, in the writing itself, you know, the names of some of the characters, I've got a few written down here, Constable Lumpwold, Miss Prunella Brown-Ramsbottom, Sergeant Bleakley, Mrs. Gaunt, Beauregard <laughs> Oscar, you know, I just thought Denzel's had a blast coming up with some of these names. <laughs> you know, I've been a great fan of Dickens all my life, yeah. um, and why not? And there is a Dickensian uh, sort of side to the the names of the of the nomenclature of the of the characters, and I think that that goes with the whole style as well of the book. It's that kind of I heard somebody refer to it as a romp recently, and and I think that's I don't think it's quite a, a romp, but there is that kind of uh, it, it's all go, goes towards creating that 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 other worldliness, that kind of you know that kind of cozy and nostalgic feel because I think we also think of Dickens as being cosy and nostalgic as well and the Victorian times as being cosy and nostalgic. That's very true um, but of course Dickens has huge uh, tough edges and, and, and bleak tales literally Indeed. going on there as well and it's interesting to think what the book actually is compared to what people might assume it is you know people it, it's, <laughs> it's a you know Kind of, it's a Christmas novel, but it, to me, it's a Christmas novel in the same way that Die Hard is a Christmas film. You know, <laughs> it, it's the setting, but it's not necessary, really. It allows it allows little things like the the scene you mentioned with the body up the chimney, which is a great great idea. <laughs> but you know, there's a real thriller going on there as well. I hadn't thought of Die Hard. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I think I think that's that's very opposite. I think we. I, I, I desperately tried to do something that would be 
entertaining and interesting and compelling as well. And I'm not saying nothing against cosy crime novels that have come before this. Yes. There was an article in The Guardian, I think, is, is cosy crime um, good literature or is it merely insipid was the, the headline of the, the article. And I didn't want it to be insipid. Oh. So while while it's cosy in a way and nostalgic, it's not tea and scones with the vicar, no. you know, in any way. What do we have? Do we have tea and scones with the vicar at one point? I can't remember. There is there's a vicar pastries, in it. There's pastries going on at some point, definitely. There's pastries at some point. But it's not all about that. As you say, it's a it's a novel that's set at Christmas. It's It has that humour in it. It has that levity in it. But there's also a harder, harder, interesting edge. Well, I mean, Grasby's life is threatened genuinely on a number of times. You know, it's that you, you do have gen, genuine tension when you're reading it. Yeah, he, he, Grasby is a kind of guy who's, if you read the book, you'll find out he's he's not been the most fortunate person in life, and he's a lots of you know he's a d difficult father to deal with right from the word the word go. And he's had a number of challenges in his police career, as well as being as serving in the law, which is something else I'll bring into future Grasby books. Sure. This is a timeline that, that won't be linear. So we'll go back in time and, and Grasby's, Grasby's timeline as we as we go along. And we can revisit him both as a police officer and as, a, and as an army officer as well. Um, so he's a, an unfortunate person who's extremely well doing or wants to do well but regularly ends up on the wrong side of all these things uh, in the, during the course of the book. And you can tell that his life's kind of been like that. In fact, he refers to his life being being like that as he as he goes along. There's lots of little asides um, yeah. about his, his past and how he's managed to get along and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I like to do, I like that as well. So it's, it's world building, isn't it? Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, right from the beginning, you get... A bit like the book itself, I think people judge Grasby as one thing when in fact he's so much more. You know, they, 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 he gets sent away for reasons, yeah. uh, his, the way his father kind of treats him or talks to him and all of these things. And actually there's much more there, there's more metal there than people might expect. Yeah, I think he has got a great deal more to him than, than would come across naturally. He's one of these kind of ephemeral chaps who you would think, oh, well, he doesn't amount to a great deal. But then when the chips are down, Frank Grasby is there to save the day, sort of, maybe. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and also, I think it, it feels like you really enjoyed structure, you know, get, putting together the structure of the book. It's really interesting. You've got, as you say, found memoir, Grasby's memoirs. You've got author mm. books, police reports, witness statements. At one point, uh, pages are missing, and uh, the author kind of says pages are missing here. How did you approach the structure of it? Because it is, a, as I say, it's a <clears throat> yeah. mix of things. It is a mix of things, and I, and I wanted it to be that way. I wanted the reader, I think, including statements and, and telex, uh, telexes and police reports, kind of draws the reader in, into it as though they're part of the, of the action a wee bit. And it also is reflective of Grasby going back in time and looking through his his his, his archive, if you like, and and these things are jolting his own memory. So he's put it in, in his memoirs to to jolt, you know, to help the story along. I went about it in the wrong way. I write a, a novel, Alistair. I think I've told you this before. I always, I, I'm not a plotter or a planner. Right. You know, I have an idea of a beginning, a middle, and an end, and I sit down 
and I start writing. And that's basically how it goes. And if ideas come to me in the course of that, I'll just use them. And the idea of the statements came and I thought, well, that is a good idea. Uh, and so I tried my best to use, not overly much, there's not a, there's not something like that all the time, but it yeah. kind of, again, it's a departure for me because I'm writing in the first person this time. Yes. And when you're writing in the first person, your, your outlook is necessarily narrowed. You're always seeing it from the perspective of the protagonist. Um, so using the statements and the telexes and the police reports, etc., is a way from taking out of Frank Grasby and giving you another perspective as well. Yeah. Because, you know, I think one of the people that did this so well um, was Hilary Mantel when she did a Wolf Hall series. Mm -hmm. And the way that, I didn't take to the way that was written in the beginning because it was so different. Yeah. But once you get used to that, that kind of, that that strange tense that she used, as though you were standing beside Cromwell when he was making all these decisions and having all these difficult difficult experiences. Um, it was really it really worked well, and it adds a new dimension to the first person, if you like. Uh, and that I think sometimes that's needed because, you know, writing just purely in the first person is quite difficult. I was going to ask you about that. Do you does it make you feel? closer to the central character um more involved or is it, it, it just a different way of doing it yeah i think it does i think you you feel more attuned with with the character than you would do if you're i mean i'm very well acquainted with brian scott and jim daly mm -hmm. yes. um and that was another reason i did it that way because again i didn't want this analog of of daily and so to write it in the first person instantly change that 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 feel and you've got a different accent and you've got a different setting and you've got a different time um yeah and i think you're i think you're, i haven't really thought much about that but i think yes you are quite closely acquainted with the character in a, in a, in a different way than you would be if you were writing it in the, in the third person because I, you just get the feeling that he's such a memorable character that you must really like him if that's the right word to use you know, <laughs> you're, you're kind of you as a reader you're really on his side and i do like i do like him funnily enough he's at he's there's a bit of me and frank grasby i think there's a bit of a well intentions going wrong somewhere along the line and uh you're always i think he's always waiting for things to go terribly wrong as I do all the time, certainly through my publishing career and, and before, I've always waited for things to go dreadfully badly wrong and that would be the end of it. Uh, so, yeah, there's a bit of me and Frank Grasby and there's a bit of other people as well, same as any other writer. You always use experiences and people you've known um, and characters that you've known. I'm still using people that I used to work with at Springbank Distillery. Um, <laughs> you know, Hamish comes from... Yeah. partially from two people that worked at Springbank Distillery, now sadly no longer with us, uh, and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I hadn't realised it so much until I started. I only began the book, again, two or three weeks ago, or four weeks ago, and I remembered how much I enjoyed writing the, you know, the, the first one. It's not a chore to sit yeah. down at the laptop and, and you know, get this going. It's... it's um, it's great to be able to do it, and it's a privilege to be to, you know, to be able to do this type of book. As you know, I've moved publishers yes. in the intervening time since we last spoke, and um, while 
uh, Polygon did a fabulous job with the wee novellas, the Christmas novellas, um, doing a, writing a novel and setting it at Christmas and all that goes with that, now published by, by Transworld, the, the big John imprint arm of Penguin Random House. Yeah. They can they can give that extra scope. They can make that available to more people in a in a in a bigger way. Whereas if I'd made Grasby a novel, for instance, yes, it would have done well and lots of people would have enjoyed it for a novella. Mm-hmm. But you know, novellas don't sell as well as novels do. It's a simple fact. And 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 indeed for 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 a novella novellas, the, the three wee kind of tales sold exceptionally well. And I was delighted by it because because I didn't expect it, and I, su- I suppose the Kinloch tales are sort of father to to Grasby in that respect. Yeah. Well, when you mentioned earlier on uh, about a um, murder at Holly House being something that it's it brings a comfort at a time when we kind of all need a, a comfort, and I thought that about the Kinloch tales was when I I didn't know what to expect when I read the first one. But they felt exactly that. And that was, did the first one come out during COVID? Yeah, the first one came out. I was writing it as COVID was getting going, yeah. you know, majorly. I think we knew, as I began writing, um, it was the, a large measure of snow was the first one. And as I began writing that, we knew, we knew really, really well that COVID was going to be something very terrible and very different. And in, I, I mentioned that during the promotion of the Polygon did a video about the books to promote it, yep. and I me- and I mentioned that at the time that I felt that this was hopefully what was required to leaven the horror that people were going through at the time of COVID. Yeah, and I felt that that's what they did. You know, it really was a comfort to to escape Good. to this world, and all, a slightly surreal world as well. Yeah. There was, you know, things going on <laughs> there that you maybe wouldn't expect, and I, <laughs> I that that uh, murder at Holly House is it, exactly that as well. It, it does. As I said before, it's a world that I kind of I'm looking forward to revisiting. Well, good, good. I mean, I think, I think that Holly House lacks the it doesn't have the kind of magical realism yeah, no. element that the the, the tales of Kinloch do, uh, because I, I you know, you I, I wrote Vikings into 1960s Kinloch, which was, <laughs> which is a, a brave attempt to follow Marquez and people like that, but um, but. Yeah, I think it brings also something different because it's full length, because it's a full working piece. You get to know the characters better and more quickly, and there are there is a sort of large cast of characters to be to be had in the in the book, um, and uh, the times were very interesting as well. I think we forget now that rationing still went well into the fifties, into nineteen fifty four, and there were still shortages and problems well well after that. Yeah, people were still going on to national service, all these kind of kind of things, and and I think as Frank Grasby says in the book I'm writing now, um, they tell us we've finished the war, the war's over, but sometimes it feels as though we're still very much in it, and they say it's going to stop soon, but I'm not sure if it is. Um, so I think, you know, the, looking back in the tales, my mother told me about 1950s Campbellton, yeah, um, and how how it impacted rationing and all the rest of it impacted in, in places like that during, and and in Hull as well. I mean, she, I wouldn't have been from Campbelltown if my mother, if there hadn't been the Second World War, because they moved, my granny was from Kintyre, and she was working as a as a, the chef to the Lord Mayor of Hull, uh, the head chef to the Lord Mayor of Hull right. when the war started. 
And my grandfather was, by that time, had been a chauffeur, and he was, by this time, a bus driver for East Yorkshire buses. And it, it's been, you know, it's been revealed lately that Hull was the second most bombed town in England, next to London, because of the flour mills and the petrochemical factories that existed in and around the city. Um, so they decided to take my mother back to Kintyre, where my granny was from, just to, to, you know, for safety reasons, Yeah, alone. And then my grandpa, who was from Hull, liked Campbellton that much. She wouldn't have, if there'd been a third world war centred around Campbellton, he, would, he still wouldn't have left. <laughs> no, he he just loved it there, and, yeah. and hence Kintyre. But but yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. The genesis of everything is a convoluted process. When you try and look back and see, well, why did I do that? And why did I write that? And Holy House is a kind of a, a kind of a accumulation of all these things. And you've also got at the time the growing threat of the red menace, if you like, the Soviet Union and, and uh, you know, what might happen there. And there's a bit which made me really smile. You talk about the threat of um, the Soviet Union Russians as tenants in Belgravia and Kensington, their kids at your public schools. And of course, we now know what the situation is in London. Yeah. <laughs> the Russians. Yeah. Um, there is a lot of humour in the, in the book as well. I think we should point that out. You know, there is... Um, uh, the, the very image of someone stuck up the chimney at, at Christmas does that brilliantly. And in fact, nod to that on the back of the, the book sleeve <laughs> as well. Um, a, that's important. That seems to be an important part of it too. Yeah, it's a way of encapsulating Grasby's story without going in th through long passages of exposition. You know, I think that if you have these wee snatches, my, one of my favourite bits is where he has... His father nearly has an ecumenical punch up on on the Coolinson sky with a Church of Scotland minister um, over the the idea of transubstantiation, <laughs> uh, and I like these little ditties he recalls, and you get a rounder a rounder feel of why why he is how he is yeah. um, through these little remembrances and things, and you realise how he's how he's come to pass if you like. Um, I, I, I enjoy that. I think that's really beautifully done because, you know, you, you give hints at, as you say, he's been in the armed forces, uh, went to public school, I think. Is that right? Yeah, he was at private school in, in yeah, Hull, yeah. yes. And, and so, you know, these little things that you don't make a big deal of, but you can, as a reader, you say, ah, this has maybe shaped him in certain ways. Maybe the way he speaks has been shaped by this. Absolutely. Uh, all sorts of things that come through. And you said, obviously, it's um, not set in Scotland, but there are nods to Scotland in it. His mother was Scottish. His mother was Scottish, yes, like James Bond. He often uses her phrases, her turn of phrase. I'm sure I remember Scunnard. Yes, it is. Scunnard, <laughs> as my mother would have said. Yeah. And, and, he very much, and, and there is an approach, to, and there's one part where he says, uh, do you know it's still legal to shoot a Scotsman with bow and arrow in York? To this day, and it's still it's it's still in the, the statute books to this day. Actually, oh really? Yeah, you can shoot a Scotsman with a bow and arrow in York if if necessary. <clears throat> I don't think they would. I don't think it would go down well in law, practically. I, I, and there's also mention of Ecclefechan as well, which is always a, a great... Ecclefe. Oh, well, you can't Ecclefechan such a fabulous name, isn't it? You know, really. Yeah, you absolutely. Could... So. 
you, as you said, you've set up future uh, Grasby books. Was that always the plan at the beginning? Was it always like, well, this isn't going to be a one-off. We're going to uh, yeah, write a, a, a number of these. Like most things in writing, Alistair, there's never a long-term plan right, because yeah. everything moves so quickly. And I mean, for instance, I'm busy writing the next Grasby. I'm editing the book that will be out in the summer and I'm promoting the previous Grasby. Um, so there's you're always in this state of total total flux all the time. You never know where, you know, you'll be next or how things will work out. But it just so happens when I went to Transworld, um, this great young editor um, who's now very senior in the company called uh, Finn Cotton, and he absolutely loved the book. And he says, oh, we've got to have more of this. You know, this is long before it was published. This is right. about last year. And he says, I just really, really love this book. And then I wrote the the um the thriller that will be out next summer and he loved that even more so you know these things and we're about to there'll be more of them as well as daily daily too mm -hmm. so we're going i've got a busy time over the next few few years writing all these books but it's a joy and it's a pleasure to write things that you believe in and you yeah. i don't want I desperately don't want to be part of the crowd you know uh um i don't think dailies like a lot of crime fiction. I don't think that um, uh, Grasby's like a lot of cosy crime. No, I would agree with that, definitely. And I don't think that the next book coming out in the summer of 2024 called The Estate is like um, high-octane, a lot of high-octane thrillers, though it is a high-octane thriller. So I always want to, to do something different. And is it how is it when you're doing things like this interview uh, this morning and promoting a book when actually you're already working on the next one? Is it a <laughs> bit of a kind of pull in different directions? Are you just keen to get on with a new one? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's part and parcel of what we do, the promotion of, of yeah. a book when it comes out. And I've got used to that over now nearly 12 years of of doing this. And so you bet, it was hard going in the beginning because you really did, as you say, want to just get on with what you were doing. And then you realise that, that, that podcasts didn't really exist then, let's be honest, not in the way they do now. But they're great they're great um, conduits to, to describe and get your ideas across to, to potential readers. And I really enjoy doing, doing, doing most of them. There's some that are more difficult than others, uh, where um, people have this com complete idea that I mean, there was this chap I'd spoke, spoke to a while ago who was com convinced that I'd left the police and just jumped straight onto the computer and started writing daily, whereas that wasn't the case at all and by a long shot. Um, but he kept going back to this all the time. When you were, you know, when, when you were in the police, did, were, you, were you just thinking about writing Jim Daly? And I'm saying, no, no, I wasn't. <laughs> Not at all. I, I was thinking about completely different things in those days, uh, back in the mid-80s, as you can imagine. Um, probably about Graham Soonis, <laughs> you know, uh, and the revival of Rangers. But but uh, yeah, it's it, it's a necessary part of what we do. The promotion, the editing is another big thing as well. People don't take that into account. You've got to, you know, you've got to make sure these books are right. And and the ed ed editorial process at Transworld is second to none. It's really 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 exacting and and, and fabulous and a, and a great. It's a boon for me because it's great to have people between you and the reader who yeah. it's essential to have two or three different, maybe more than that, five, six different eyes on the, on the, on the book before it's released. 
to the general public and they can appraise it. Um, so, yeah, I, I enjoy all this kind of stuff. I could talk to the cows come home, you know that, Alice. Yes, absolutely. But I think it's interesting to talk to someone like yourself because I think a lot of readers, they maybe think uh, someone writes a book and then they promote the book and then when that's finished, they start the next one. But actually, you're constantly writing and writing yeah. different books. And the television show as well. Um, I mean, you know, so I'm involved in so many different fronts. I get up in the morning and I don't know really what <laughs> I'm going to do next. And and sometimes you have to take that moment or two when you first wake up and think, no, wait, 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 what am I doing today? Yeah. Um, fortunately, I remembered I was doing this, which was good. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's it's never it's never the linear process of sitting and doing your yeah. one job, but that's good too, isn't it? Because you wouldn't want to just do the same thing over and over again. No, no, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, uh, and the editorial process is that something that you enjoy? Is that because it's often where the book is formed, if you like, is in that editorial process? Well, uh, it, somebody asked me this just last week, actually. And if you were to read a first draft of one of my novels, and after you'd read one of the novels, you know, the, the finished form of it, you wouldn't see a great deal of difference. Right. But it's those little things that editors pick up and, and proofreaders pick up and line editors pick up and all that kind of stuff. Just yeah. little little things you do get, ask any writer this, you get word blind. Mm -hmm. you get Once you've written this thing and read it over and over and over again, you are completely word blind to it. And something that will jump out to anybody else reading it is completely, you know, obscured to you. Um, and so that's where that becomes necessary. Um, and that's, you know, it's a very exacting process and the people who do it are true professionals at what they do. And I celebrate them wholeheartedly. And you mentioned TV there. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? <clears throat> talk a wee bit about it. I mean, it's the same. We're in production, as you know, or we're in within the state. But, you know, there's, we started off being bedeviled by COVID. Yeah. And now we're bedeviled by strikes. Yeah. Um, but things are moving ahead. We're, we're, we've, got brilliant, we've got a brilliant script. We've got, you know, a brilliant show lined up. And it's just a case of getting through all this to... To get it done and out and out there, so that's that's the position we're in at the moment. But we're always working in things and working in different aspects of the show all the time. In fact, I'm just going on to a Zoom now about it just in the next couple of hours. Um, so yeah, it's still very much a thing, and I know people think it's taking an internal length of time, but but but, but with the intervention of COVID and now all the strikes of writers and actors and everything else, it's um it's just where we are, and we just have to accept that. As 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 do numerous yes. productions all over the, the um, between America and and Europe. Yeah, no, absolutely. And for those that don't know, this is going to be a TV adaptation of the Daily Books. Yes, the DC Daily Books. I can tell you, it's called The Thin Places. Right. There you are. And of course, you know it's going to star Rory McCann, who is yeah, is a fabulous, fabulous actor and a fabulous chap. Yes. No, absolutely. Can't wait for them. And you said, I think last time we spoke that. The Kinlock novellas were finished. Is that still the case? You're going to leave it as 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 what they are? Actually? Yeah, they were always intended to be a trilogy. In fact, they weren't even intended to be a trilogy. I thought they'd be a one-off. Actually, yeah, I thought a large measure of snow would be a complete one-off. But um, when I spoke to Hugh Andrew at Polygon about them after the first one came out, he says, "Oh, well, you write more." And um, we did th we did three. Never say never in this game, Alistair. 
Yes. But at, at the moment, there's no there's no plans to write. There's a, a the the, the um, anthology version of the three novellas is out now called The Tales of Kinlaw. So you can buy that. They can buy all three in one uh, this Christmas. So please go out and buy that in huge numbers. And what I would say is, if you enjoyed the, the Kinloch novellas, you really will love Murder at Holly House. Uh, you know, so as I said that right at the beginning, it's for me, it's almost a kind of mix of your two different styles of writing of bringing them together. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I said earlier in this podcast that the the Kinloch novellas gave birth to to Holly House in many ways because I was confident that I could write this type of thing, and people would like it. Uh, because I've always enjoyed that, you know, the the um, Compton Mackenzies and the J.J. Bells and right. Angus McVicker and all these great, great writers um, who who produced that kind of, that stuff in the past. And 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 I like Woodhouse and I love, uh, you know, I love that, those kind of, those kind of writers we've mentioned too, Evelyn Waugh and, and all those fabulous, fabulous writers that too few people read these days, I think, yes. actually. And they should go back and and take a look. I'm currently reading, um, what is it? Um, the Boz Remembrances by Boz or Sketches by Boz by Charles Dickens, right? Which is his <clears throat> his uh, trip through London, away back. I think it's in Georgian times. I don't think it's even in Victorian times. And it's just a fabulous read, you know. It really, really is. And he was such a great writer. Mm. And people forget. It's it's wrong to forget these great books that we've. We've all had the pleasure of reading over the years, and I think there is that a, a gap now that people generally don't read as much from the past as they used to. I think that probably is the case, and I wonder if that's because we're often obsessed these days with the new that you know, so, oh, yeah. here's the new one, and here's the new writer, and here's the new whatever. And actually, these books were popular for a reason. Uh, yeah, because they were really great tales. Here's the new Matt book. It's got a feather on the top. Exactly. And you've got to have that because you'll just look odd in a cafe if you haven't got a feather sticking out the top of your MacBook. Yeah, I, th I think we, we, we forget the past at our peril, but that goes for so many things. History. Yeah. history you, know, you, know, you know, to know your future, just go back to history and read, read your past. And we live in a terrible, terrible time at the moment with what's happening in the Middle East and what's happening in Ukraine and very many other places and in society in general. And there are cautionary tales to be found in literature going back many thousands of years, and I wish we would take note of them. Yeah, no, absolutely right. Denzel, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. All the best with Murder at Holly House. I can't wait to meet Frank Grasby again sometime. Um, so it's really great to hear that uh, already there's further books on the horizon. The next one's called The Christmas Stocking Murders. There you are. Brilliant. Um, out this time next year? Out this time, yeah, around about this time next year, and there'll be a paperback of Murder at Holly House out in October next year. And next next summer there'll be The Estate, which is my high-octane thriller based on the Palander family, who right. are mega, mega rich. Um, and this is another, another departure, but much more serious, much more thrillery thriller, if you like. And uh, is that set? Can you tell us where it's set or anything about it? Do you want to keep it's that? It's set. It's set between um, Scotland, London, Belgium, Davos, 
it starts with the Sebastian Palander, the the um, head of the Palander family, who dies live on television right at the beginning of the book, and it it surrounds the story surrounds what impacts his billionaire children and family after that happens, and why. It sounds like a, almost a, a global thriller. It's a global thriller, Alistair. I mean, just forget all your global thriller, thriller writers of the past. Just I'm into it now. That's it. That's it. Mr. Mr. Baldacci can retire. <laughs> well, I can't <laughs> wait. I can't wait to read it, I have to say. Denzel, thanks once again. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much, Alistair. It's a pleasure too. And all the best to you for 2024 when it comes. Oh, thank you very much. Same to you. And we will be back soon with someone completely different. Cheers. And thanks again to Denzel for taking the time to talk to me. But before you go, we have a bonus recording for you. A clip from the audiobook version of Murder at Holly House. Beautifully narrated by Tom Turner. With thanks to Transworld, Denzel's publishers, for providing it. We hope you enjoy the following, which really gives you a taste of the novel. Each day of the week has its own feel, or so I think. Mondays are universally loathed, whilst Fridays bring a spring to the step. For me, a Sunday heralds a nagging echo of my lost piety. Gone is the angelic choir boy, the youth who seriously considered following his father and grandfather into the church. I still feel guilty that I only attend around this time of year or other high days, holidays, weddings and funerals. I've seen far too many of the latter. I suppose my job as a police inspector offers some mitigation, but never enough to quell the wrath of my prelate father. In fact, hell hath no fury like a village vicar spurned by the bishops of the church in which he serves. But with Christmas on the way, I've decided that it's high time I try to improve my form as far as church attendance is concerned. If I'm honest, I need all the help I can get being yet again in hot water. I try not to think about it as I walk along the smoky corridors of police headquarters in York. The senior officer who's about to drag me across the coals bears more than a little resemblance to the man who gave me life. Not physically, though. While Reverend Cyril Grasby is tall, thin and grey, almost as though he is in the process of fading away, Superintendent Arthur Juggers is squat and florid. He is very much of this earthly realm, a true corporeal reality wrought in blood, bone, pipe tobacco and ale. <laughs>